I need to get this off my chest before we actually start. Okay, well, we've already started. So. Okay, okay. But you know, did you see those people in Vancouver on Granville Street yes, partying? I, yep. Yep, I did. I don't. That's the reason why we're now going to have more COVID lockdowns. And Dr. Bonnie Henry's going to be like, what the actual fuck, people? And just like, I don't know. I don't know why she didn't. Like, she's going to see that and just order all the clubs closed. All that I want is and Dr. Bonnie Henry's approval. And I'm never going to get it with the way these assholes are out there dancing in the streets. At the club. At the club. Wherever. Like, I don't, know, I don't understand like why. Like, the clubs are supposed to like not let people in too. So I feel like they should be in trouble. <sighs> I don't know. That's weird. Right now, there's just no enforcement, which I think is partially why so much of this is going on. Yeah. If the businesses faced repercussions, that would be a huge disincentive for them to allow this kind of behavior. I agree. But also, the people need to fucking people get need shit to together, like not be shitty, right? I'm not yeah. trying to absolve all these people or remove their agency. I agree. I agree. <sighs> okay, I feel adequately warmed up. Hello, and welcome, <laughs> my wife, my my podcast. <laughs> Yagashimash, my name is Jake. Uh, hello and welcome to another episode of A Bit of Everything, the number one law podcast brought to you exclusively by TRU Law School third year students. That's us. I'm your host, Simon, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Jake. Hi there. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about um, traditional legal business practices and how they lag behind other industries. Uh, and then we're going to take a stab at looking at legal innovations uh in practice all right so simon talk to me about this what are some of the traditional approaches that we're talking about that are lagging behind other industries and what are the problems okay so i think i think a lot of it not all of it but a lot of it comes from um just how law has been practiced in the last i don't i don't want, i don't know like the last 40 years probably like since the 80s which a lot of people call like the golden age of the law firm which is where you had just your typical you know like mahogany boardroom table like super swanky law firm there's not enough mahogany in practice these i days. hate mahogany jake there's I, too much mahogany I in practice mahogany. these days i take it back <laughs> And how these firms are structured is they go very much on the billable hour. And that's that's just how legal services are billed today. So what that means is that when you go to your lawyer and you say, hey, I, I don't know, I have this legal problem, please help me. The lawyer will tell you that's lovely. And you'll see the dollar signs go ka-ching in their eyeballs. Very Scrooge McDuck. Very Scrooge McDuck. And they'll rub their hands together and lick their lips and say, excellent. I don't know how much it's going to cost, but I'll let you know when it's done. And that is a problem because... That's a problem because it really puts a lot of the power in the seller of legal services to basically charge whatever they feel like. But on the flip side of that, you have the consumers of legal services like not understanding like whether or not they got a good legal service or a legal product or whatever they got. And there's not a lot of ways to actually know the quality of the legal services you got until either A, it goes to court... Or, well, it goes to court. Like, I think that's kind of the, the biggest gauge of the quality of legal services is like a judge telling you that, yeah, this was a good argument or I'm sorry. So are you now at now out like ten or twenty thousand dollars. But this will that this person did for you is no good. 
Right. Or I suppose if you're engaging a lawyer and you get the other party to, to desist without having to go through the whole trial process, I suppose that could be another metric that you've engaged a good lawyer who is giving you good bang for your buck. But like you said, oftentimes it's tough to tell. Exactly. And a lot of that really comes down to, uh, like, like I just talked about, like how, how legal services are priced. Um, and that's really just around that, like a lot of it is input based. So when you, when you look at the traditional pricing for legal services, how much you pay the lawyer is very much based on, um, like the reputation of that lawyer, um, the experience of the lawyer. And then of course, how many hours that lawyer or their cronies, have put into delivering whatever this legal service is. You're talking about law firms right now, like that these giant diabolical machines that just <laughs> spin out some kind of product and the only incentive for them is is money at the end of the day. And I think, is that too harsh? Or maybe another way of phrasing that, is that just the way that law firms and lawyers are incentivized to practice right now? Uh, well, I mean, we have to keep in mind that law firms at the end of the day are businesses. So obviously acting in the business's best interest, it's like any business, like they're there to make profit. Um, but like you mentioned with the how lawyers and um, their staff are incentivized is by exactly that. Like how many hours can I sell you of my time? Okay, so on that note, you're talking about how many of my hours can I sell you? And that's what the consumer ends mm -hmm. up paying. Mm -hmm. Part of the problem that I think a lot of practitioners, either sole practitioners or lawyers in firms have, is that you're not aware for a particular issue how much it's actually going to cost at the get-go. So when the client retains the lawyer, you're unsure about the actual amount of work that's going to go into it. And that creates a big question mark, like you were just talking about, about mm -hmm. how much is actually going to be required to get whatever legal result they want, whether that's carrying the client all the way from the beginning where they have a legal inquiry to trial mm -hmm. or to mediation or to some kind of pretrial resolution. There's a lot of unknowns at the very beginning. And mm -hmm. I think that leads to part of the problem of, I'm not sure how much I'm going to spend. Mm -hmm. So let's just start the timer just like a taxi. Yeah. And we'll get there when we get there. The problem is, Unlike a taxi, <laughs> you know where you're going uh -huh. when you sign up for that bill. And so, sure, maybe it's $19 instead of $22 when you arrive, wherever you're going. That's right. The problem is, when you're dealing with legal services, the cash difference can be massive, depending on what ends up happening in your issue. Exactly. And, and I like your taxi analogy, because when you get into a taxi, like you said, you have some idea of where you're going and like what the route approximately should be. With legal services, a lot of the time, especially if it's a really complicated matter where it's going to go to court or through some sort of other um, alternate dispute resolution structure, whether that's mediation, arbitration, whatever, um, is that you don't, like you have no idea how you're getting there. It, it would be the equivalent of getting into the taxi and the taxi just taking you for a, like taking the very scenic route to your destination and eventually you get there. But instead of the taxi ride costing you like $10 like it was supposed to or approximately $10 this now costs you hundreds of dollars and you know you, you could have walked there and if we're going to really stretch this analogy the incentives for the taxi driver and for the lawyer at the end of the day are the same they want to keep you in the car for as long as possible 
until you know you, you can you know, are no longer willing to be in that car anymore because one you've paid too much money you just want to get where you're going you yep. want your legal problem solved that's exactly it and and that kind of brings us into the where i guess the legal practice kind of lags behind other industries is that for most other in fact i would say every other industry when you go to buy something whether it's uh, a plane ticket or other professional services like maybe you're buying a house for a realtor or you're buying accounting services. Accounting services is the big one that a lot of people kind of compare um, legal services to. But you you have a general idea of how much it's going to cost. You know, with, with realtors fees, you know, it's X percent of the sale price up to, you know, for whatever you sell the house. So you still have the incentive of the realtor to um, to bargain on your behalf to kind of get the best possible deal because at the end of the day they also make more money and I guess you can kind of see a parallel there with lawyers and like contingency fees maybe but uh, you know it, it still kind of leaves it very open uh, from the legal point of view is like because you you really have no way of like even estimating really a lot of the times like how much it could cost at the end of the day there's a ballpark that you could give for a lot of stuff but if it's a really complicated thing like let's say it takes years and years and years of going back and forth between the parties and then ultimately goes to trial like that's a lot of time and a lot of money that you're going to have to spend but that that you probably weren't expecting to spend when you initially went to your lawyer like three years ago to say, hey, I've got this problem, please help. And I think that's part of the reason why lawyers in general are so hesitant to offer any kind of different structure where they package their services for a certain issue. Because just like you said, it might end up taking years of your time if the litigation unfolds. And if you told your client, this is going to cost roughly $17,000 to $20,000, we're gonna bill you, you know, give us $20,000 retainer and we'll call it even that'll be the cost for the services that we're offering Mm -hmm. the problem is that there's no real upper end on the services if you are being engaged generally as a lawyer this gets into something else that we could talk about about unbundled legal services Mm -hmm. uh, which are for the listeners at home they're essentially when you engage a lawyer on a very specific not just issue but a very specific part of an issue Mm -hmm. so for example instead of asking a lawyer to help you with a legal problem from the beginning to the end, you say, no, I just want a little bit of advice and I would like to pay you for that advice. And in those cases, it becomes a lot easier for that practitioner to say, okay, if all you're looking for is preliminary advice on this issue that I know very well and know won't go beyond these bounds, Mm -hmm. and we establish these bounds contractually, then I'll feel more comfortable offering this service for this price. Mm And there's benefits in that for the clients and mm-hmm. for the lawyers. If the lawyers are very efficient with that, well, they get to crank out workload, quality workload, in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And that is the product that they have. And if they're really efficient at it, they're incentivized to, to do a good job quickly. Mm-hmm. Because that means they can spend their valuable time doing other work for other clients and generating more income. Mm-hmm. And it's better for the client because the lawyer is incentivized to do so. So for them, they're not going to have the lawyer spending extra time when they wouldn't otherwise be. They have very clear parameters Mm -hmm. on what they're working on. So these unbundled legal services, so these unbundled legal services are being tossed around by some practitioners and some firms as possible alternatives to the traditional legal business model that's been going on, like you said, since the golden age of law. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
and that kind of brings us to an interesting point is like like this sounds like a great idea so like why doesn't everybody do it like, why doesn't why, everyone why do does it? every law firm like not do something like this or like why are they not you know actively looking for or employing alternate ways of pricing and billing to not just to improve access to justice like that's part of it but to just make things generally more affordable because you know there's a problem when a lot of lawyers say like hey i can't even afford my own fees and like I've heard that from lots of lawyers is like, hey, I, like I make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and I still can't afford my own fees. Because it is prohibitively expensive to go through the court process these days. And that's just a fact. A lot of lawyers, like young associates, if they got into serious legal trouble, like some of their clients come to them with, mm -hmm. they can pay a lawyer to help themselves, mm -hmm. which is outrageous. And I think it demands a response from the like either the law society or from lawyers to allow for these new kinds of legal packages and legal services mm -hmm. and unbundled legal services that we talked about they're one of those but they're mm -hmm. not the only things no. so what are other legal innovations that we could potentially look to so i think a lot of them just in a lot of the research and the reading that i've done because i've i've taken like a fairly deep dive into reading about this and and like looking for better ways to do it and maybe that's just my my business degree coming out but it it, it's just strange to me that there's not a ton of um, entrepreneurialship happening in in the legal industry. And what, and what I mean by that is just like looking for ways of doing things differently, uh, differentiating yourself, establishing something that's unique maybe to, to your practice. And th there's a lot of other ways that, that law firms could be better. And I, and I get that the, the the point that they're trying to address is like, hey, we, we need to make as much money as we can because we're a business. That makes sense. But if you look if you look at a law firm versus a lot of other businesses, let's let's take accounting, for example, um, the big the big four accounting firms and any accounting firm for that matter, but especially the big four ones. So KPMG, Deloitte, uh, the other two of Ernst the big Young four and PricewaterhouseCoopers, those those ones are um, it's argued there's a book that I'm reading. It's called the law is a buyer's market and the author of that one i forget his name we'll put it in we'll put it in the show we're not notes. going to put it in we're the not going to put it in the show notes but he he argues that that these big four firms are, are going to be some of the biggest threats to like the big law firms anywhere in the world um just because they're they're very very good at bundling business services in general and and business advice and now they're, they're realizing that they can they can get in this market and hey and say, hey, you know, we've got this great accounting advice we're giving you and this great strategic business advice we're giving you. Why don't we also offer you legal advice and we'll just bundle it in and just, you know, add a couple thousand dollars onto the onto the onto the bill, but also provide you with legal advice. And and it's great because you can see that these these firms are starting to have. Um, they're, they're generating value in other places other than just accounting. You know, they're offering strategic business advice, which is something that I think a lot of lawyers don't know how to do. Well, a lot of lawyers don't have that really practical business experience, especially not out of the get-go. If you have senior partners who have been doing mergers and acquisitions for years, yes, they're very likely going to have that. But mm -hmm. that's not even necessarily something that they're putting forward in their work product or that they're advertising to bring in clients. Yeah, it's not. And I, I was reading a case today for our estate litigation class, actually. And it was it was interesting because they they included in the judgment was included some of the like tax advice that this estate was given. And it was awful. It was just <laughs> the most lawyerly written document for like what to do with this 
estate in order to like avoid the the tax implications for it. It was miserable. It was awful to read, even for me. And like I have an interest in tax. Like I really like tax. But if if I was the customer or the client, and and my tax lawyers gave me that document, it was hard enough for me to figure out what the heck they're they're talking about. But I just imagine a normal like regular person who's like, hey, I need some very simple legal advice. And and out out comes this giant document in legalese that you have that you need a lawyer to tell you how to read. It's almost like it was by design. So that's why KPMG, Deloitte, all of the big accounting firms, that's what they can offer then is this integrated advice. Yeah, and that and that's just an example. But you know, you and I, Jake, have talked a lot about even other ways that other practice areas can do. It doesn't have to be corporate, but things like wills and estates or real estate even and that sort of stuff like there's there's so much opportunity in these other businesses for law firms to develop like not not even just like cheaper alternatives but like different ways to generate revenue so that the cost of the actual like lawyer's time that you're billing your client doesn't have to be a hundred percent of the revenue with a law firm you can you can you can start bringing in you know the paralegals or other areas of of the law firm to offer different services and to add value to the end product that you're ultimately delivering to your customer. So what are some ways that lawyers and law firms can innovate and integrate new technologies or new processes to help solve some of the problems that we've been talking about? Well, I think some of it is, I mean, it's it's going to be easier said than done, but one of, I think, the best ways and one of the ways that I think a lot of firms will get the most um, results out of is 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 simply improving their processes. And what I mean by that is is you can automate a lot of the routine, just like, I don't want to call it fluff work, but the, the necessary fluff work. The important fluff work, like some of the client feedback or follow-up. Exactly, like a lot of the, a lot of the, basically what it boils down to is a lot of the customer service stuff mm-hmm. is you can automate. And, and an example I could do is like you you could automate like client intake, for example. You know, have a client fill out a form that has like their name, a little brief prop, you know, a little brief description of what their problem is. And some firms do that. Um, or you could have like automated update emails to your client about, hey, we've considered your matter that you've got. This is the stage that it's at, and this is what we're doing to bring it to the next stage. Because I think um, I wrote an article a few weeks ago in the Lawyers Daily about. Um, how, how poor customer service is one of the uh, one of the leading causes for complaints to law society. It's huge. It takes up a massive proportion which of is, what people report their lawyers for. Exactly, There's nothing going on. Which There's is which is just bonkers. Because to me, it it just makes sense that you would follow up. These people are paying you hundreds or thousands of dollars. It just makes intuitive sense to me, anyways, as a business graduate, that you. This, that should just be a given that you follow up with your clients about give them an update every now and again about what's going on. So Jake, we had uh, we had Tara Vazdani from Remote Law Canada come talk to us in our uh, legal apps class. And she talked about some of the stuff that she does in her practice that you and I both thought was really interesting. But one of them was automated or partially automated legal research. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? about kind of how that works and what that's all about. So what I found fascinating about this is that not only are some really innovative young lawyers taking on automated services, but some of them are actually reaching into the pool of artificial intelligence, like real, actual, deep learning to ease some of the workload 
and take some of that off of their plates. So what Tara was talking about specifically that got me really excited is a legal service that her firm uses called Alexi. And what Alexi is, it's a legal research uh, platform. So essentially you'll type in a legal question, sends it off to them, their processes work, they spit out an answer, and then they'll have a human actually look over it to make sure that it's polished enough and, and usable enough. Mm-hmm. But then that comes back to her and she gets to use it at a firm and she gets to save hours of research time, which as you and I know can add up to huge legal fees if it's a complex legal problem that mm-hmm. you have to throw, you know, heaven help you, a couple students at. <laughs> right? At, at $200 an hour. Exactly. Or yeah. associates, or if you're the partner and you're working on something that's incredibly complex, you know, that is a lot of time and expenditure that you're able to shave off the bill and that you were no longer required to do. I mean, granted, she was even saying that she uses it as a bit of a litmus test more than a complete replacement for research. Mm-hmm. So if she has a question, she will sometimes fire it off to them, have it come back, and then have someone at her firm look it over mm-hmm. and do any additional research to tailor the problem to their needs. But the fact is, it's shaving quite a bit of time off of what they're doing mm-hmm. and m- saving the clients and making the lawyers much more money than it's costing them to use the service. Right. So there is a net gain there that's very, very beneficial for them and they get faster turnaround on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I, and I like how she talked about, because she said some of the some of the pushback that she's got on that process just from other firms. I mean, she has her own firm, so she can do what she wants. But um, some of the feedback that she got from especially the older lawyers in like these giant firms was, well, what do I do now with my articling student? If, if Alexi is <laughs> Make now them, doing they, they this They have so me. much time to go on coffee runs. You have no <laughs> idea how much room this is bringing up in their days. <laughs> but what she said is she, she said that she'll, she'll still use Alexi and it's not like it's a replacement to the articling no, student. No, it's a supplement. It's a supplement. So what she does is she'll send the question off to Alexi. It'll spit out the answer a day later. And then she'll give that answer to her articling student and say, hey, like, here's a start for you on maybe some of the research that, you know, you can look over this and tell me whether you think it's enough or not. And if it's enough, you can run with it. That's fine. But if there's stuff that you feel like needs to be added or it doesn't quite meet what our client needs, by all means, like throw a couple of hours of your time at it and do some more research. I really feel like we're stressing this point because you and I are about to be articling <laughs> students and we're really trying to justify our existence yeah, to I know. the firms. We both, we both thankfully have work, uh-huh. but you know, it's not too late for them to yank it out from under us, I suppose. I we signed both signed our papers. We they both signed our papers. They, can't, signed our they papers. can't take it back. There is, in fact, a no takesies backsies rule in law. <laughs> Uh, but I found I found that the artificial intelligence angle to be so so cutting edge mm-hmm. because so much of what lawyers do, which is maybe contrary to popular belief, so much of what lawyers do is ascertaining what the law is, mm-hmm. especially if you're in an area that's that's you know maybe not as common, or if you're a general practitioner mm-hmm. that is taking on a new area of law for the first time, it can be incredibly time consuming. It can be. And I think I think the reason why, too, a lot of so much time is spent on this research to like figure out the law and like have the perfect legal answer is um, I think a lot of lawyers are. Well, I know a lot of lawyers are are really risk averse. And so they want to deliver the best product that they can. And unfortunately, that can and often does take a lot of time which ends up costing the client a lot of money. I would argue to be to be quite honest that if if it's a question that probably won't go to court, um, 
you don't have to have a perfect answer. I don't think I don't think the client really cares. I think I think a lot of the time, and I don't know because I've never practiced law, but if I if I had to guess, I think for a lot of the time when a client comes to a law firm looking for help on their legal problem, there I think a lot of them are looking more for reassurance that that you know th- their life isn't going to be ruined or, I think, I think, or what this means for them than having a perfect legal answer. Well, I, and and that's and that's I think is exactly it, right? You don't want to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And yeah. in this case, the good could be a, a more balanced approach that takes the client's financial situation and just their general well-being into, into account. And and that is something that I think this artificial intelligence research programs and other automated and artificial uh, intelligence programs can really help with. I agree, and I just I just want to touch. I was reading a uh, a report done by a company called Clio, and what Clio does is they have a platform that is it kind of addresses some of the things you've been talking about in terms of automating things like client intake, um, follow up emails, calendar invites, that sort of stuff. Um, and they have it all in a platform tailored ex- like exclusively to lawyers, and and they did a survey actually on. Um, thousands of their clients that they have or thousands of their customers i guess that they have about and comparing them to maybe other law firms that don't use a platform like clio and they interviewed a lot of the consumers of legal services and they asked a bunch of questions and i I thought this was interesting that some of the most important things to customers when they're purchasing legal services um, are that they have good reviews which is interesting because I don't know, I, like I've heard in, in a lot of the research that I did for this episode, Jake, that um, a lot of law firms don't bother asking their clients, hey, how satisfied were you with our service? Which seems on the one hand ridiculous, but maybe understandable if you try and take into account how stretched some lawyers can be. But, but it's can not be excusable. It can, it can be a simple email saying like, like I get this from Telus all the time from my stupid phone. Like every time I talk to one of their one of their people on the phone about how was your myself, Telus experience? Exactly. How was your Telus experience? And most of the time I don't answer. I was just going to say how <laughs> often do you actually listen to those? But I think I think for something where I think the stakes are a bit higher meaning mm. it's like much more expensive. Um, if it's a complicated matter you've probably spent a lot of time with this lawyer talking to this lawyer. And, and I, th- I think it just makes sense to, for not, not just for the, like the customer satisfaction, but it can also help the law firm tailor its uh, product offerings and, and understand like where are the pinch points coming from our clients? Like, where are we going wrong? What are we doing really well? What are we doing really bad? Mm. And how can we fix this? And, and to not ask at all, like how, how well did we do? I think it's crazy because then you just don't have any of that data that you can use to, to improve your services. You just carry on the way you've been going for decades. Which actually should probably be the motto of lawyers everywhere. We're, we're carrying on the way we've the been doing for decades. Carrying on, carrying on. And that is part of the problem. And I think we've talked about some solutions here. You know, There's a myriad of other options being looked at there, either in terms of tech or just general updating of processes but there's a lot of room to move forward so much opportunity for you lawyers or soon-to-be lawyers that are, are listening to this there is an incredible amount of opportunity in this in in process improvements in increasing customer service and customer relations with your clients and i think there's going to be a divide in the future i think there's going to be a divide a clear divide between the firms that change 
and that have beneficial outcomes from this and the firms that are just a little bit too slow who yeah. aren't servicing their clients needs as well as a result and who therefore lag behind i i think there is going to be those who adopt the future and those mm -hmm. who thrive and those who are left behind and and with that on that note again with this clio survey that they did they they surveyed law firms that like i said use and don't use their services and in their survey, and this is done across thousands of firms across the United States in particular, but I would imagine it translates to Canada, is they found that for, for the firms that, that integrate things like online payments, customer relations management, automated emails, uh, having some sort of a client portal where they can log in and like automatically schedule um, meetings with their, with their lawyer and stuff, on average, these firms build almost $40,000 a year more in revenue than firms that didn't per lawyer. Sorry, forty thousand dollars a year per lawyer um, compared to firms that that didn't employ these platforms. And like that, that's an incredible business case for this. If 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 anything else, you know, like like you, I don't know. There's, there's so much opportunity there, and that's just simple things like emails and like automating customer service. Like I don't know, just bare bones. Like not really what I would call innovation per se, but it, it's stuff it's that innovation needs, from you know 40 years ago of every yeah. other industry which and, I, and it's stuff I think that counts as innovation but it's just too little too late not Absolutely. too little too late it's too late it's too late but it's not too late because there i i think there, there's going to have to be improvements and i think for our generation of lawyers jake that are going to the profession now and one day we're going to be the partners in the firms and running the show and who knows maybe the the laws will change by then and you can have non-lawyers owning shares in the firm but I, I think honestly, like our generation and, and the generations after us are probably going to be the ones that, that change stuff. And I'm, I'm really excited for that. I can't wait for that to happen. It's a brave new world out there. It's a brave new world. All right. That's all I've got to talk about. How about uh, you? That's all I've got. All right. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in to another episode of A Bit of Everything. Have a nice night. We'll see you guys next time.